everyone. Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio, featuring the crew, where a former pro football player and a D3 all-star use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about anything but. Now here's John and Tex. Donnie Mabe, welcome to Power Athlete, another episode. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy coach life to sit down and talk about leadership, mentorship, coaching, anything and everything we're going to get into today. Tex, it is always a pleasure just to sit down and just catch up, see you and see see what you guys are doing out here, a power athlete and just be a part and uh, love you guys, love your community, message and impact you're making. So thanks for uh, inviting me in. Well, yes, welcome. And I hear you're a big fan of the Be The Hammer posts. Hey, we, uh, yes. Yeah. Be The Hammer is probably one of the highlights of my days when you guys uh, post those, uh, whether it's a cringe, like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I can't believe that just happened, or a, a good laugh. But definitely, you know, Be The Hammer is something that, um, obviously it's it's a big mantra for you guys, mantra, or whatever, but um, but just I love seeing those extreme videos uh, that just makes an impact, quick little impact, short little impact video, but it makes a difference. So we appreciate it. Yes, the the suspense sometimes just kills me in waiting and anticipating for what the hell is about to happen in those. I'm just impressed with the creativity. Like, where do you get all these things? <laughs> I at, guess at this stage in the game, people just send it. They just do. I love it. I love it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, beauty and shout out to Harry Heppenstall who creates these visions through Eat the Week, Be the Hammer that are so much more than meets the eye. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff. Well, the previous episode, Endeavor, we, we focused a lot on the college athlete. Today, I want to focus more on coaching, leadership, and mentorship, mm-hmm. as that has become a lot of your forte, expert yeah, speaking yes, gigs, and then most importantly, building an awesome staff. I always think of University of Texas coaches, it's like the Yankees. Everybody's clean shaven, they show up, they tuck their shirts in, and every, everybody wins. Right. Yeah, yeah, we definitely have a great staff, good people that adds to everything you do from working with administration to athletic trainers, student athletes, interns, uh, visitors that come in randomly. So it makes a difference and people pick up on that. So it changes everything. Mm-hmm. And I mean, how often do you get the opportunity to begin the interview process to have a new member of the team? Is that once a year, once every couple of years? Yeah, it feels like, you know, great question. It feels like it goes in waves. We'll be real solid for a while. And then, like, we'll have, I know there for a while, we had some coaches that either they got bigger jobs or they left for other reasons. And changed, whether they changed career fields, they're a little older and just wanted to do something different. Um, You know, when you lose pieces of the team, and, you know, we were kind of talking about this, but people that's been there a long time, very, you just can't replace them. And so I think, the hardest part of, of any kind of team building is somebody that's been faithful, solid, true, and they just they, they really add to the culture and the dynamic of the team. When they leave, you you just can't replace them. You've got to find the next who's the next up and coming person that's going to bring their own values and kind of what I call uh, superpowers to the team. And so you just, you just adapt and change to that. And I think that that's helped me make it through some of those transitions. Do you tend to look for more culture fit or somebody that can fill the gaps of, of the team? Yeah, so I've done it both ways. And, and uh, you know, I think for me personally and professionally, the mistakes I've made, 
is trying to just look for talent and skills only and try to just feel, okay, this person had these skills and talents. Let's go find somebody with that same level or at least close to that and bring them in. And man, I'll tell you what, sometimes it just, it just is not, it's not good for them and it's not good for us. So I think there's a blend. You obviously got to have somebody who can do their job at a high level, a level of competence. But I think there's got to be a lot of questions revolving around kind of if you're, especially if you're the leader or director in your staff, like how do you guys think uh, systematically, mm-hmm. uh, philosophically, how do you think? Relationally, how do you like to interact, the dynamics there? So I think you've got to ask some questions in that process of interviewing that kind of follow those lines and let them and kind of pull it. They call it, I think, I guess, behavioral interviewing. Psychology calls it that. Instead of just interviewing for the job, what are some behaviors that they're going to maybe have or show when they come onto your team or staff that, that they will uh, put forth, you know, in different situations. And so that's just simple, practically speaking, coming up with questions that are scenario-based that they've acted in or reacted in in the past to see how they think and operate to see if that matches. Because you know better than anybody how your team operates and manages things, mm-hmm. how they like to relate, and just being able to decide, uh, decipher kind of what would be good. Here's the problem on that question, and I'll be quiet, but the problem on it is what I've learned, what this past year I've really learned is that we all have biases. Mm-hmm. And we can be enamored with somebody based off something we hear them say or something they've done based off of biases that we like. So you've got to have, I feel like, a broader range of interviewing. Um, Especially if you're the boss, you want to get other people to interview and get their perspective and not just off what you think would be great. Yeah. Because you'll interact with them some, but they'll interact with them more. So you've got to have, just realize you have a bias. It's not, I'm not saying it's good or bad. It just, it can be a weakness in hiring if you don't realize that. And try to filter some of that out do you back when we met 2013 my first interaction with you was a phone call interview mm-hmm. for an internship do you still are you actively participating in that deciding who shows up or you're waiting on this kid to show up and then you take the charge yeah so right now uh, melissa schmitz and mike hansen kind of oversee all our internship stuff i don't really have my hands in it at all anymore um, so they'll have they have a process. There's an application process, and then a, a Zoom or Skype interview in person. There'll be a couple of those to see if they you know if they might be good be a good candidate to come in. So you know, and that screening process is maybe a little different. You know, where you'll get a lot of uh, just because of the nature of the position, a lot of green inexperienced coaches, mm-hmm. and so they'll try to screen people and bring them in. Uh, based off what we feel like we could use or need for that semester. Every semester in college is different and the needs are different. And we really, at first, I mean, we just, the bare essentials like opening and closing, um, you know, set up, breakdown, cleaning protocols, uh, things like that are key. And then once they hit the ground in, in Austin, uh, Mel and uh, Mike will have some different uh, educational meetings to try to bring them up to speed right. on how we like stuff done. So I think there's this Try to find the best volunteer intern out there you can. That would be a good fit for us. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not so good. And that's, as you know, that's just the nature of our profession. I think sometimes the best thing that happens is like, hey, you shouldn't be in this profession ever. <laughs> and that's okay, you know? And so I think that's a good education for them to know that and for us as well. And so I think it just, every once in a while, you'll find a diamond in the rough, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, we had uh, Joe Krosik, uh I think it was several years ago he interned uh, with us for about a year and just a guy we ended up hiring 
So I think there are some good uh, fruits that come out of the internship process. Uh, so I definitely, it's, it's a lot of work. It can be headaches, but it's so worth it. So mm-hmm. worth it. Yeah. I mean, the, the mindset that I, I took with any internship or formal opportunity was I'm trying to get hired. Mm-hmm. But then there's people alongside in those scenarios that didn't have that same mindset and approach. So they weren't able to take as much, I guess, value out of the learning experience or, I mean, turn it into what it potentially can be. You're observing world-class coaches with some of the best athletes in the country mm-hmm. at that moment in time. That's that's the tip of the spear for a lot of people in terms of the athlete they'll work with. I mean, how, how can you help encourage kids to take this into consideration? This is an awesome opportunity. Is it more than just a name, or are they seeing it as the athletes in front of them? Yeah, I would say for... You know, I'm gonna use an analogy. I think that's I think a lot of young interns just don't get, and I don't know why. I think it's just part of being you know, uh, being youthful and just lacking that experience. But let's just say for for an analogy, uh, let's say you and I, you know, uh, we we have this one individual come visit your home, and come visit my home. Okay, so when they come visit your home, there's gonna be different. Uh, etiquettes that you you're going to expect and they may come over and whether it's how they enter the door what their maybe you like their shoes off maybe you don't maybe you you have a more relaxed kind of entrance um the way you guys would eat dinner you'd hang out use if they needed to use your shower or any uh, stay and stay the night you know basically uh you'd have different ways you want them to live in your space mm-hmm. and a good guest comes in thinking I need to figure out I'm Texas guest so I need to figure out like how does he like things done I need to watch him I need to ask questions I need to pay attention how the house is laid out and if it's just you it's easy but let's think let's think if you had like a big family like me I've got six people live in my home mm-hmm. so my space is going to operate way different than your space when he comes and stays with me so I think my first advice for any intern when you go work for somebody, like learn the etiquette and rules of the home, how the head coach likes to be talked to, interacted with. It's not saying that, you know, like, oh, I can't approach him. He's the king on the throne. That's not what I mean. It's just etiquette and be able to read people and just common like people skills. Because what I find out a lot, interns come into spaces and they step on toes or make people angry. Now nobody wants to work with them. Mm-hmm. You know, then they're like backpedaling and all that. So I think that piece is way more important and then when you once you get in the door and figure that out, I think your piece is the is the primary piece is where, hey, this is I'm gonna take ownership of this position, and don't act like you're like this voluntary like you know bottom rung of the ladder person that has no value. Come in there with the mentality of, hey, I'm gonna pre- I'm gonna lead and do this position like I'm a full time staff here, mm-hmm. and I don't mean that to be entitled. That's that's the wrong way to think. The right way to think is like, how, how does this coach think? What would make their job easier, right? I always say there's lifters and leaners. If I bring you in to work with me as an intern and I have to manage you and spend more time watching that you're not gonna mess something up, you just made my job harder. I don't need you to help me right now. Mm-hmm. I, I, my job's already hard enough, so I, I need somebody to come in, have good social awareness, and pay attention when I ask you to do something, like you pick it up quick, 
you get it done the next day you're one or two steps ahead of me those are the and those are the interns you're talking about that have that mentality of like hey this is my position and i want to not only make this position great but i want this to lead to other opportunities and those are the ones that are the most successful then when the coach picks up the call uh, that's got an opening position like you've got to hire this person right now they did this they did this they did this they didn't need to be managed they didn't need to be prodded or anything they picked it up quick and man they made my job the kids loved them our staff loved them they were great so i think those are the key traits and elements you look for and what's your approach to giving them constructive feedback i mean is it fast it's direct because you got xyz tasks to take care of so i got this moment to give them feedback or is it a slow burn is it the compliment sandwich is it mixed depending on the individual yeah i'm probably a little bit more slow on some of that and that's just my style i like to watch kids work and then and i'm not this is just me um from my history of, of i've been turned i've watched interns get abused i was one of those interns that got abused in my early in my career meaning i'm not talking about physical obviously but i'm talking about just taking advantage of making me do stuff that was really not appropriate and so so I'm probably a little bit more lenient on the side of like grace mm-hmm. and like I'm going to work with them and try to teach them. And so what I'll do often is watch them work and then I'll wait for an opportune time to be like, hey, you know, I've noticed you've been doing this, this and this. Like, why do you do that? And and, and I'll just be like, hey, I'm not sure if you're aware, but, um, you know, this was left out. This was left out. This I saw it all, but you're not seeing it. I don't understand. You want to be you want to do this as a profession. If you can't pick up like little things around the room but I, that I see and you're not paying attention, how can you expect to have a big job if you can't pay attention to details? So I, I'll, and I'm not, I'm not yelling at them, but I'm just being real candid. Mm-hmm. You know? And then I'll watch how they take that feedback. So I think part of feedback is, is anytime is like when somebody gives you feedback, how do you respond to that? Are you sensitive? Is it knee jerk? Do you kind of flare up a little bit? Do you kind of push back? Or do you receive that like knowing that, hey, we're trying to help you? And so if somebody doesn't receive criticism well, uh, especially when I give them to them in a manner like that, I feel like it's very just natural and just not, th- I'm not, I'm not yelling at them or pointing at them fingers, then I'll take that as a sign. It's like, you know what, they're probably, there's just a lack of maturity there. There's a, maybe they got a big ego. I think they're bigger than, a, than this menial task I'm asking to do. So that just reveals a lot to me about their, uh, where they are as a coach. You know? mm-hmm. and so I think that's a, because anybody, criticism is hard to, fear, to hear no matter who or when or how or where. Uh, so I try to make it more, I try to think of like this text. Um, I try to watch people and it's kind of like, the, I, I love to use analogies. How do you like your steak? Some people like it burnt. Some people like it cooked all the way through. Some people like it mooing, you know? <laughs> and so you give people feedback, I feel like, if you can figure out like how do they like you to kind of give that to them so that they'll be open more to hear it. And so I think that's my approach. It seems like it works a little better. Instead of the golden rule, right, where you say treat others how you would want to be treated, no, the, the, the platinum rule says treat others how they would like to be treated. So I think that's a little bit better rule when you're leading and managing people. It helps. Well, so. yeah, especially if you have this type AA personality right. where you want only constructive feedback, tell me how to get better, and not a lot of people operate that way. Yeah, it's some, some people... Like you said, they run really high, high level like that. They want to they keep getting better and pushing, but a lot of people, they don't, unfortunately. So, 
Now, how does feedback change for your your team, your staff? Is it, is there a formal review process, or is it more casual since you all have an established relationship? Is it that quick, fast feedback, or is sometimes meetings need to be held? We definitely have a very uh, traditional year-end review where we'll just kind of recap the whole year. We just finished those in, uh, I think it was in June, and that's a sit-down those can be anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour and a half, depending on kind of what, what you're dealing with, you know. Because the way I like to structure those, it's like, hey, you know, I always like, what went well for you this year? You know, kind of let's recap with you and your teams, your job. Um, what did not go well? Let's go, let's get into some of those negative things that maybe you felt like. And then what are some things we can focus on going into the next year? So those are kind of my three uh, big things. And then if there's any miscellaneous, like, personal things or – Things that just been eating at somebody. Let's let's address those at the end as well and move forward. So I think there's that process, but then there are times where maybe you see something that, as a director, or maybe something they're dealing with. Um, maybe they're dealing with the head coach that's just being difficult, and so there'll, there'll be more strategic uh, sit down times for those things that are just mm-hmm. kind of popping up, uh, whether it's a squeaky wheel or maybe the the house is on fire sometimes. Which, again, I don't enjoy those, but that's just part of managing people. I remember years ago talking to some, some coach, I want to be a manager, I want to lead a department, but, you don't, but they didn't enjoy managing people. You know, and um, <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you this, I think for anybody listening to your show, like if you want to be, if you want to lead a department, manage people, you've got to get really good at dealing with problems. And there's a book by... Um, What's the guy's name? This is more of a it's more of a faith based book, but the book is incredible. The thesis of it's called uh, um, "Leadership Pain," and uh, I'm blanking on the guy's name. It maybe come to me in a minute, but the whole book is about you know if you're having the problems you're dealing with now in your current role and position of whatever organization, if you can't handle that pain, if you want to move up, there's going to be more pain. It's not going to get less. Yeah. <laughs> And so if you can't manage that very well, you're not going to be equipped or ready to, to lead a, a, a bigger area or whatever. So you got to get good at managing problems, you know, and handling, handling pain. And that's just part of being a leader. And uh, it, it can be difficult, though. Now, for still within the staff and building that, how do you encourage them to write goals and expand? Do you want them to eventually be directors and leaders themselves or help them realize if that is the goal? No, I don't, I don't think that... Uh, I think we've definitely got some that, that want to be directors and leaders, but I always, I think you got to start with like, Hey, what, where do you want to, where do you want to be next? What's your next? Uh, and again, that, again, I love analogies on career stuff, but I had a guy sit down with me one time, like use the game of golf, right? Like where you're teeing off in your career, right? And each stroke is maybe a, maybe it's a, a, a season of your career, whether that's three years or 10 years or 15 years. And you're playing a par five, Where's that, where is ultimately for you, where's that little flag with, with the hole in it? Mm-hmm. And let's just make sure, you, you know, it may not be a, a straight line to that flag, but it may be what are some what are some different paths or shots we can take that will get you closer to that. Because I remember I sat down with him, I was like, hey, I want to go and I want to take this course and I want to get this degree. And he's like, well, is that going to be moving towards your ultimate goal? I'm like, well, no. He goes, and like, why are we doing it? And so I think when our profession, you got to be careful because – I mean, I sit down with one of our interns the other day, and he's like wanting to do more education. I'm like, well, why do you want to do that? He goes, oh, man, I didn't think of it like that. Is this going to really help benefit you and move you towards your 
career go or is this going to like just you just spending money and spending your wheels time right so i think you need to sit down and go hey where do you really want to be you know in, in the, at this stage of your career and so plan out then from there you have the conversation of like what lanes can we run in now right i think again one of my favorite analogies for when you travel there's going to be times when you're going from point a to point b where there's going to be multiple lanes and you can change lanes you can be in the far right lane the middle lane or the far left lane but there's going to be some times where it's only one lane to get from here to there you have to cross this lane to get to the other side of your career there's no multiple lanes you can't change lanes so that's those are times that can be more difficult and you have to go through that but that's you know again everybody's a little different so i, I think the, the the advice can change depending on kind of their where they see themselves being because mm-hmm. I don't, what, what I found, you don't want to push people into something that they don't want to do. It just doesn't work well for you or them. So it can be frustrating. Yeah. Do you ever provide a spark? So maybe someone's goal is, is lower than you believe it, their potential provides them. You ever then provide direction there? Yeah. I mean, you've got to, I think part of being a leader and manager is seeing potential in people and making them do things they don't want to do. And when I say make them... <laughs> I don't mean like hang, you know, hang something over the head, but you know, get them to sign up for something. You know, like we've got one of our staff, and when when she first got here, she terrified of public speaking. So that's one of my forte. You know, I love to get up and speak and talk and run my mouth, obviously. But I was like, hey, you're gonna, we're gonna get you to do something. You're gonna, and she's gotten, dude, she's actually gotten like so good at, it. like, dude, you, you're gifted at this. Mm-hmm. You don't still like it or enjoy it. But when you do it, it really makes an impact. We did some, you know, with COVID, we did a lot of Zoom presentations. We did, we did an exchange, a staff presentation exchange with some Australian uh, coaches overseas. And she was probably one of the best. She, she knocked out the park out of all of all of us. And she, you know, doesn't enjoy doing it. But I said, dude, you crushed it. It did a great job. So I think you've got to look for those, those abilities in people and try to draw it out of them mm-hmm. in creative ways. So Certainly. The, I, I get. I'm giving speaking to speaking. I'm giving a, a keynote D1 sports. Yeah, I'm gonna do a tour for him. So oh, all we right. Might see each other. Yeah, the uh, their coaches. Uh, yeah, well, it's meeting up at the Cedar Park spot, and then I'm speaking on the the life cycle of a coach, aiming and bringing periodization and mm-hmm. all these plans that we have as coaches vo- vocabulary into the professional realm. Yeah. And almost reverse engineering your career based off of goal and more importantly, lifestyle. What kind of mm-hmm. lifestyle? If you're willing to then go through the grind, the suck, and you don't see a family in your future, certainly there's a coaching track for you. But if no, no doubt family is the focus or time to write, educate, travel, and speak on the side, that's, that's a different thing. So speaking on that and bringing some vocabulary of periodization and planning mm-hmm. and I, I like the golf analogy as well because that fits in like there's 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 holes there's pins there's flags there's points which provide so an opportunity yeah. for reflection like it, it shouldn't be one track mind that then you lose other opportunities that could long term benefit you as a as a professional coach mm. it's good no I definitely you're seeing more of that in our career, though. You like, you know, the periodization of your career of how you kind of develop yourself and equip yourself for different stages and phases of that that profession. So, uh, it's 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 an important topic because people don't think about it. Mm-mm. 
we think, and I always say this, right? Coaches are great at coaching others, but we're not really good at getting coaching for ourselves. And I think that's kind of what you're elaborating. And I completely agree with you. Yeah. And one of the phrases I lean on is coach needs a coach. Yeah. So if they don't like it though, well, I don't care if they don't like it. I'm going to tell them how it is, you know? And, uh, yeah, I mean, that goes for writing your own strength and conditioning program. Shouldn't do that because then you're biased. You're going to skip over everything you are not good at, which then makes those worse. Versus us as coaches want to find the limitations of an athlete mm-hmm. and then take them to make them strengths. So certainly career advice, coaching, financial, a lot of the things uh, Ron McKeefrey talks about in uh, Strength Coach CEO. Mm-hmm. It's He was aiming to shine a light on things coaches were not taking into consideration or from his perspective in the interns and the many coaches he's mentored. I mean, it needs more advocates about that stuff. Yeah, there'll be gaps there for sure that you'll just leave. There won't be anything there and you just won't be ready. You know, I mean, I think been doing this 27 years, you know, I'm still, you know, talk about financially. I wish somebody would have talked to me about that in my early career as a coach at Colorado. I just, but that wasn't even on the radar then. Mm -hmm. But now people are more aware of it and they they need coaching. Like you said, especially if you start, early on if you can do that early on you'll be definitely more you have more options and lanes to run in when you get older uh, and, and more things to do so and that's that's so important as yeah. you get older the i'm going to ask you for moments that coaches mentors that had an impactful pillar that you can you remember the date the month the time of that conversation one that i had was on this specific problem so rafael ruiz 2016 CSCA, CSCCA in Orlando. He lives in Tampa and he was one of the pit stops I took after Texas. And um, so we were sitting by the pool and his family. And so he was telling me to focus on everything outside of strength and conditioning, aiming to hone my business acumen, aiming to find speaking coach mm-hmm. and mentors and all these other avenues of professionalism versus just performance is one of the the missteps that he feels he took in his career was obsessing over uh, anatomy, neurological, how the brain works, all this good stuff, which made him an infinitely better understander of movement, but then may have stepped back for, for his professional career. So that was sitting by the pool, this moment where I'm obsessed about movement. Okay, where where are my limiting factors as a person that I can then shore up mm-hmm. to then empower my professional development? Yeah, so maybe I'll take a little different spin on this one. Um, and I'm gonna give a book recommendation that if, you, you know, if you're a coach and you've never read this book, um, it is highly recommended. Uh, the book's called Halftime by Bob Buford. Bob uh, passed away a couple years ago, um, but he was a, I'm going to give you the, the gist of the book. It's a, again, it's a faith-based book. So, you know, if you're, if you're not into that kind of stuff, that's fine. Still read the book. It's so good. And you'll get why here in a second. It's impacted me as a coach and in my career. So Bob was like this, uh, I think when you read the book, he was this very successful um, cable TV guy. But started this network, made all this money. But somewhere along his career path, he just was like, lost almost like man I'm successful I got all this I'm, I'm financially successful our business is doing great but like something's missing 
and he hit a wall and just couldn't figure it out. Well, this book, Halftime, was what came out of his whole like career trajectory and career path. And what it is, Chris, is like, um, if you ever, you've probably seen in your, the, it's called the sigmoid curve. No. So the sigmoid curves essentially is, he, he uses it in this book. And you, when you start your career off as a coach or any profession, you're in your 20s usually. You're mm -hmm. younger, typically your early 20s. And the, the, if you could visualize with me as you're listing, it kind of, you just drop, right? It's like going off a cliff. The, 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 the curve goes down at first, but then eventually you start to kind of climb. So it's got a little bit of bend at the bottom, a little valley, a trough. And then slowly in your, in your 30s, you start to climb, or your, your late 20s, early 30s, you start to go up. And then it keeps going up, and then somewhere around, you know, in your, your early 50s, mid 50s, you start to peak. And in your 60s, you start to come back down again. So it starts to repeat the trough. So you start really kind of very low, you go down, you climb. And he says, man, this is, and if you, I've seen this in coaching, and especially in sports. Mm -hmm. they'll, they'll start really young. Like you said, it's, we were talking about earlier, it's tough. You're not making any money, you're working long hours, there's not a lot of rewards, so you go down. You start to have success, you start climbing, you get the big job, you make more money, you have more influence. But at some point, you start to peak out and start to come back down again, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what he's experienced. So what do you do about that? And his answer is halftime. And the question he presents to the reader is, what does any team do at halftime? Make adjustments. They make adjustments, right? And so his kind of spiel is, or thesis is, somewhere probably in your mid to late 30s to mid to late 40s, that's really halftime of your career, right? That's what he calls it. And go, you gotta do what at that halftime? You start, so your first sigmoid curve, you start your second sigmoid curve somewhere in your 30s while you're on that first one. So what do you do on your second one? It starts to go down again, mm -hmm. right? And then eventually that second one starts to climb. So what happens is when that first one comes down, guess what? That second sigmoid curve is going up again. Watch, here's the, here's the sweet spot. The first sigmoid curve, first party career is all, all about success. It's about you, your money, your title, your fame, your influence, your, you know, your reach. The second part of that, that second sigmoid curve has got to be about significance. Mm. It's about you giving back. And a lot of coaches don't ever get that. I just had a conversation with one of our sport coaches about this. He's in his 50s and he's, you can tell he's don't, he don't know what he's gonna do next. I had a conversation with a very one of my former bosses here at Texas. I had a conversation with him about this back in 2008 on a football field at a bowl game. What are you going to do next? What do you think his answer was? I don't know. And so we, we do success really well about us, mm -hmm. but to create that second one, like what do you do as you get older in your career? How do you become more significant and give back? And so that's something, you know, I've, I've started like years ago was my speaking traveling, well, the stuff I'm working on now. Yeah. So I'm doing more consulting and speaking and helping other people now than I did way more than when I was in my 20s and 30s. Mm -hmm. But I've been prepping for that, right? Because you're not good at it at first. Not that I'm saying I'm great at it now, but I'm way better than I was when I started. Yeah. And I've definitely got more of a revenue stream from that. And so I'm trying to set myself up for more like where I'm going to help and give back and mentor and teach leaders and stuff as I get older in my career versus like, man, I get the end of my career. Like, I don't, what I do, I'm a... I'm a dinosaur, like what do I do now? Because yeah, we have a young generation of coaches coming up. 
we have an older generation, but those older generation of coaches have a lot to give back to the younger generation because mm -hmm. they don't have it. And so that's kind of how I view our, uh, our career. You've got to have the success, significance kind of landscape in there, uh, long-term view. So I think that helps. Is that what helps spark your the, the clinic that you have each year? It's for sure, yeah, for sure. Networking, building uh, rapport relationally across different uh, disciplines and different people in our, our profession and sport. It's definitely been a huge part to that. Wow. Man, well, the importance of speaking. I, I can't say that enough. And, I mean, any fear that you have, it does take a good coach to then push, encourage, and provide that opportunity. Yeah, and, and text, I've, it still happens today. It happened recently. I will be looking around. We'll be at some location. I go, if I didn't take that first speaking gig in 1997 where I was, ter I mean, god-awful, spoke for two hours, lost my place in my notes. We Back then you had to, you know, we didn't have PowerPoint and all this online stuff. You had to put the the uh, transparency on the projector oh gosh, with the yeah. little grease pins. And I had a VHS tape. I was, you know, coaching with a laser pointer. Coach, it was the guy in front of me fell asleep in 15, 20 minutes in front of me, 30 people in the room. It was god awful. It was torture for me. It was torture for them. But if I didn't take that first step and go down in flames, I wouldn't be in like Hawaii and Europe and, in, in over in uh, Australia and then talking to, I mean, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. So you've got to take those opportunities when they're scary to develop yourself mm -hmm. and kind of branch out. It makes a big difference in so, your opportunities. So. How do you feel you can encourage people to understand the difference between nervousness, fear, that it has a positive outlook opportunity, or this is just not the right path for you? I, to me, I, I do this. I do a whole. I do a class for our athletics department once a year on speaking, because people hate it. Mm -hmm. And I, I put up this slide. It's funny text. Like fear of speaking is up there, like number one. Even like fear of clowns is down below. You know, when you look at this scary factor, people. And all it is is, it's how it's their perspective. Mm -hmm. of public speaking they view like standing up like that's different than like you and i sitting there having a con if you can sit down with coffee and conversate with somebody really well and, and enjoy that you can get on a little mini stage or in front of people and do the same thing but just your view you view that perspective like that's a cliff that you're jumping off of but really it's just a step mm -hmm. and if you can and there's some tactics and tools that i've learned over the years you can you know, with breathing, looking at lights and stuff that can help you kind of bring your nervous system down as you step out there. Um, like for, I think one of the things you, what I, what helped me kind of develop as a speaker, I had to give a tour every year for our, our camps. Mm -hmm. I hated it, but I changed my perspective on it. Like what I'm telling you, I started saying, you know what, instead of this being me showing around these parents as drudgery, why don't I come up with like a, just a, a spiel, a, a stick, a, right? I'm just going to give up. <laughs> Like I, I said, you know what? I'm gonna pretend like I'm working in a in a zoo, and I'm giving out you know tour after tour after tour to these people I don't know, mm -hmm. and I'm gonna polish this and get really good at it. By the end of like several years of me doing that, I would have parents that were videoing me because they loved it. Like that was the best tour and talk we've ever had. And so just taking those opportunities to to polish yourself versus saying I have to be on stage to get good at it. No. Do it with, if you're having a staff meeting once a week with three people. Mm -hmm. Get your notes out, you know, practice your little talk to your staff or team and hone yourself. And then that's like getting in the, that's like putting on the little baby floaties in the baby pool, right? I'm going yeah. to float. It's not that deep. 
You're not going to drown. You're fearful, but you'll kind of get your, your anxiety will come down. You'll get more polished and more confident, and then you can take the next step. And so I think those are little things you can do. It's just change your perspective on really it's just a it's really just a one on one on one conversation with me and you or if I do it in front of a thousand people it's still an audience we're just having a conversation so I think it just takes time to get there though yeah and that I mean that's all goals not only speaking like aiming for right high up and then I mean finding steps that then lead you to that that high goal so it's not just the aim and then holding yourself accountable for Ah, crap, I missed that. What marks are available for me to step and climb towards that goal? Yeah, and you said it earlier. Start with your end in mind. That work back, like engineer yeah. that backwards and start really small. But you've got, you, you got to do the small steps. Mm-hmm. You can't just be... Some people do well throwing them out into the grease, so to speak, you know, throwing them in the fire. Some people like, but then some people, that's not good. They'll never do it again because they're like scarred from it. And so I was more you know, kind of the, the, the approach of like, man, I can, I can engage in this myself and develop myself for bigger opportunities. You got to do that and be intentional. Yeah. For speaking for me, I, I am an introvert. So then that there was fear within that, but I had such a, a passion for the subject. It was just a matter of finding my way to communicate to the group. Like I would just talking to you or talking to, to, to John. So that was, that was a journey. It took a lot of reps at the same time. Now find a flow state pretty easily, which I, which I enjoy. And then my goal with presenting is always pick a different, create a whole different presentation each time. Mm-hmm. So then it, I don't get repetitive. I don't get bored. It's always this, this passion, this thrill of something I'm excited to, to communicate and speak on. Yeah, the passion. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. That's good. And with now transitioning to athletes, y'all had a successful season this year for your volleyball girls. Yeah, that was a that was a fun run. That was yeah. fun, but uh, we didn't we didn't win it all. But man, we were so close, which is heartbreaking too. But it still is a blast. Mm-hmm. So it was fun. What's what's your aim when you're communicating with your athletes? Because it goes beyond sets and reps. So is it goals? Is it taking this? person and turning them into a very confident being so they just set free and experience a flow state on the court what's your overarching goal when it comes to developing these young women i think there's a couple um lanes we, we kind of operate in there i think one is just managing them physically you know COVID, as everybody knows been a very unique challenging and special year uh, this year we had a fall season and a spring season in volleyball which i've never experienced that so really doing a better job. We used more technology this year than I've ever seen mm-hmm. with managing what they were doing on the court, just monitoring their workload, do heart rate stuff, and then managing weekly. We would do force plate uh, jumps with them, three jumps, just see where they're at with power production and landing and fatigue, and then wellness questionnaires and using more velocity base. So we've used more technology this year to help kind of keep them dialed in, so to speak, because we didn't, our budget was cut. We didn't have massages. We didn't have all this stuff. People, you know, that we, these extracurricular uh, things we would bring in to help kind of keep them fresh. So we had to kind of go back, regress a little bit, not being uh, archaic, so to speak, but just a little bit more self-management and more giving people what they need to help them feel fresh and feel more, I I wouldn't say recovered, but more optimal level. Mm -hmm. And because our, the way we competed this year, we were doing back-to-back nights, which we've never done 
do a full season. So that was a challenge. And so we just had to change our approach on that. Uh, so I think that's from a performance, uh, from an intrinsic intrinsic uh, load perspective, that's one thing that the, when you talk about mentality and you talk about communicating with them, what we did this year that was a little bit different because it, the season was so long, Tex. I mean, if you look at the whole season, it was it was daunting and exhausting. Our concern was are our girls going to not be ready at the end? Mm-hmm. And so the way I, the approach I took, and I forget where I got this from, I took it um, basically just chopped up in the blocks. And I talked about like block one was, you know, back in July when we'd been off for four months, like, hey, let's just get in shape to where we can practice for an hour, an hour and a half a day. Yeah. So that was like, check that block. Then next block was get through the fall season, which uh, was again, the hardest part for that was just getting them in shape to play back-to-back matches. And that took some adjustment from the performance team on how we practice them. They, so they needed more, a little more time off at the beginning of the week. We could ramp it up toward the end. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was looking at Dexas, who's putting on lean mass, who's not putting on lean mass for, for health and like taking impact and absorption. Right. So I had to adjust some of the stuff I was doing. I had to create more sheets, individual sheets than I ever have in season. Uh, versus taking a blanket approach, which was which was challenging for me, just management, a lot of pieces in there. Um, but I think just having those phases in, in blocks. And so, for example, we we competed in the fall. So this was way different than we've ever done. We had a five-week block in Christmas where everybody went home. I mean, the university shut it down, said COVID, hey, go home. Yeah. So I had ended up making this kind of road to Omaha challenge. So it was a little bit more uh, more virtual managing and monitoring from home kind of I mean I'm sure like what you guys experienced too just being an online uh, strength and conditioning service mm-hmm. for people and so the way I did it was text I created uh, partners on the team my partner and I would try to you know intentionally put somebody who worked really hard or maybe somebody who didn't like to work as hard in the weight room so there'd be some accountability there and so what I what we found out which was interesting text our body comps weren't as good as they'd been in the past because kids were sitting on, on Zoom all day. Yeah. So guess what? They're, they're, not getting, they're not getting steps. So going into Christmas, my normally when I put an emphasis on lifting and conditioning, I put a big emphasis on what? Just getting steps in every day. Mm-hmm. Just moving, yeah. which is crazy. That You would think that's an essential thing that you would get, but with screen time was up 200% with young people over COVID. So you know what? They just need to get out and walk. Yeah. And so I made a challenge where if you got 10, no, it was, I think it was 12,000 steps a day, you got a point or double points for that. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of the week, that partner, they get points for walking, points for doing their elite form. We, we use an online system called Elite Form. Uh, and then they would, get to, they would get points for being in the gym, like passing and serving. And so I created this little challenge. And at the end of each week, I would tally up the points and I would send out the group leaders. And there was a little competition, and man, girls came back in, in, in way better shape than we ever have that time of year. But we were ready to pick right back up where we were, and so that was another phase of our right. that they did a good job on. Again, there were some girls that still struggled, but it was way better because it was community effort and challenge. And again, it was the road to Omaha, trying to keep that vision of where we want to be and then work backwards. Mm-hmm. And then we went into the spring season, and uh, obviously we had a really good spring season. We are ready for Omaha and had a good run. Excellent. The, for your female athletes that come in, how many have experienced barbell weightlifting? Very few. Very few. Um, we, we have 
you know, we had two international girls coming this year, and one of them had some experience being over in Europe. With again, it just depends on the club they're in and who they're around. We had we've had them come in that, that most of them don't know how to tie their shoes in the weight room, and so I just start with a dowel rod and a lot of suspension training, just pattern movement pattern. I don't load them at first because when they usually come in with us, they're on the court. You know, yeah, um, fall ball. Yeah. yeah, 20 hours a week. They got 20 hours, probably 15 of those hours, 14 of those hours are on court. Mm-hmm. So I'm really cautious of I don't want to do something in the weight room that's going to put them in a compromised position where they can't practice. Coach doesn't like that. He gets upset. So mm-hmm. a lot of teaching uh, with those guys coming in in the fall. If they come in mid-season, we can do a little bit more in the weight room with them because I got four or five days a week with them. So we can progress them a little quicker. Do you feel there's so much potential at the the high school level for female athletes to start to learn this barbell for injury prevention, performance? Yeah, I would say you know, as looking at the landscape of college or or high school athletics for females, and I would say even more specific, club sports. Mm -hmm. You've got kids that are coming out of that say they're the cream of the crop, whether it's basketball, tennis, volleyball, um, whatever sport, golf. You've got kids that have basically been trained like an Olympic athlete from when they're like 10 to 12 years old till when they come to you. And most of them are really overskilled at their sport, but they're underdeveloped or underskilled physically in strength and speed and how to you know change a direction. Mm-hmm. So when you get kids in, um, you've got to you've got to put that filter on when you're when you're looking at key performance indicators. Like, what are the key traits or the key the key fundamental movement patterns that you need to enhance to help them be more healthy at their sport? Because if you come in and try to like load somebody that maybe they've been, let's say for example, like a tennis guy, he's been playing tennis ten years, man, his hips are off, hamstrings one short, one's long, one hip flexor's tight, one's his shoulders are rounded. If you start really loading the guy up like that before he's ready, you're just gonna he's gonna get injured on the court more. Mm-hmm. So maybe he needs more unilateral or contralateral work, you know, more postural stuff before you start piling load. Maybe the way you load him is not axial loading. Maybe it's below the lumbar. I don't know. So I think you've got to just keep that that context in 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 your lens of when you're looking at him of like how you prescribe exercises. So it can't be a cookie cutter approach. Everybody yeah. needs a squat. Everybody needs a lunge. Everybody needs a press pull brace, pull, press, whatever, but like how you kind of prescribe for different people would be based off maybe their movement screens you see with them. So I think that's kind of what's made the, the difference for me. So with these kids, because most of them haven't lifted when you get them. Yeah. I'd I say imagine. 90% of them. It's pretty, pretty crazy, but yeah, you've I'm seen coming it, you've from football. It. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, we, we certainly see the opportunity with those high school level, especially the female athletes for our private sector coaches who own their own facilities, encourage them to connect with those club sports and then selling performance, selling injury prevention so they can get the, the yeah. kids in there, even if it's just taking the, the warm up and then putting in some isostability, some unilateral action and movement in there, twisting, bending, lunging, anything to get them mm-hmm. out of that so specified movement patterns and set them free and unlock their athleticism. Yeah, coaches struggle with that. Sport coaches, I feel like they yeah. see, well, you know, we've been practicing two hours a day, five days a week. They need more specific motions from whatever sport you're coming with. Uh, no, they've been doing that for 
16 hours a week, they don't need any of that actually. <laughs> yeah. That's even like, that's like, you know, my, our sports scientist, uh, Travis, always talks about this, but it's like, think of like a video game, right? If all you do is your sport, you're hitting that same button on the, like the fire button on the video game. It's great. I'm just, I'm just crushing that. I'm just crushing that button. Hey, man, we've been hitting this button for, for, for four months. Well, let's do some more of it. Let's add more of that. Let's hit that button. How do you think that button's going to be? It's going to be broke here soon. Yeah. And it's not going to be repairable. So you've got to find different stimuluses and buttons that you're not hitting the same thing so their body does stay strong and more resilient and robust when they do get on the court. So I think that's, a, that's something that, that sometimes coaches just don't, they don't see that, you know. Yeah, best opportunity I had was the warm-up, the practice warm-up, because then coaches, yeah, we need 10 minutes here. And then you try to just say, hey, I'll take ownership of it. And then you do more athletic things, dynamic pillars through different planes of motion, orientations to help get what they're not getting and pr protect them, really. So you're enhancing athleticism. And in our world, that's injury prevention, becoming a better athlete because you're a better mover. I, I want to give you one caveat. This is a, a great topic. I heard this from a coach uh, a couple years ago, but... This is a cool way to view, and, and, I, and Tex, I think you would agree with this, but let's take high school, and you're the strength coach. You, if you've worked in this profession long enough, you always got those kids that gravitate to the weight room, and there's kids that hate it. Mm -hmm. But typically, what I've seen, the kids that gravitate to extra work in the weight room, they actually don't need more weight room work. They need more work in their sport. But the kids that hate the weight room probably – don't need more time in their sport. It's like flip-flop. Mm -hmm. The kid that loves the weight room probably needs to go spend more time doing free throws or layups or maybe oh, yeah. you know, yeah. ball handling and get them out of the weight room. The kid that's on the court shooting all the time, that's a kid you probably need to grab and bring them in the weight room. They need more mobility and strength work so they can be healthier on the court. So I think it's just crazy the, the I guess, the, what's the word, paradox we see in our, in our profession. Like, you actually don't need more time. You're actually muscle bound. And you see it in football too, guys. Mm -hmm. Like you don't need to squat more weight. You're squatting close to 600, you're good. Mm -hmm. You need to go work on moving better on the, on the field, you know, versus some kids are like, you know, some maybe a DB, they don't like the weight room as much. They're already fast enough. You need to work on some other things in the weight room, so. Yeah, that certainly ran into that a lot. And I mean, it's finding tricks communication, the social awareness to then connect with the athlete to bring them to what they need. I'll tell you one thing I did see at Texas that was my first exposure was the kids that were incredibly gifted, the strong, powerful, fast in the weight room, and were in love with it. And they believed every rep was going to lead them to the NFL or the conference championship. So that exposure to that level of athlete I'm very grateful for the opportunity because that that opened up a whole different perspective right. as a coach and then added to the layers and the levels of individuals you'll get exposure to because uh, encourage coaches to follow their own strength program so you can get a feel and experience for it, but then enter Texas and it's, uh, okay, programs are written for individuals that are greater than the coach will ever be athletically. Yeah. So now you really have to understand this stuff to then set the people up for success that are infinitely gifted than you as an individual. Yeah, and I think, you know, Alvar Mill talks about this the best just over the years listening to him. Like you, you know, he worked with Jordan, all those guys, and, and Pippen and Horace Grant. 
you get these, you know, when you get in these a school like Texas and you're dealing with, I mean, I was in there this morning and there were five or six Olympic track athletes in there taking a picture going, they're going to Tokyo soon. Like, dude, if, if you don't train them right, you, you can mess them up. Mm-hmm. And they got, I, I don't want to make it like this, like it's this weird, like crazy thing you can't figure out. I'm not saying that, but what my point is, sometimes we make it so complex. It's really simple. And the the Ferrari the Ferrari already runs 220 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. We just maybe needed to go like 230. We don't need it to go 280. But if you do the wrong stuff, it'll go 180 or 160. So so you got to learn how to again. And, and I think a practical example of that is like you get a, an athlete, and I think strength is a, is a paramount paramount thing to chase after. But at some point, after a couple of years of doing a ton of strength training, they're, they're already strong as crap. Mm-hmm. Now you got to change what qualities you're trying to develop and chase. And so I think that's where that comes into play of there's the strength workout, like you're talking about with football. Those guys come and haven't lifted much. They build that base. But at some point, you got to individualize and kind of change some of that programming so they can keep finding that 1% difference. And I think that's just the, the way you got to evaluate is change. So. Mm-hmm. And not have the ego in place right. to be able to listen and see and feel what your athletes need. Yeah, that is key right there. And your program might not have the answer on You have to learn something different. Uh-huh. All right. Final series of questions where I know you're a big reader. Now you have opportunity with your podcast. One of my favorite things about this is bringing books and bringing conversations to life right. to where you can find the author, pick up their ideas, and and wrestle with them a little bit. How have you found the podcasting experience taking from strength coaches, individuals? I know you got Zach tomorrow, mm-hmm. good buddy of mine. So how has that been an experience as a leader, as a learner? Yeah, so definitely just to be candid, I mean, the pod, I love like I love being on the show here with you and, and, and podcasting is, is a blast. But, you know, I didn't realize it was going to be as much work, Tex. <laughs> so... While I'm in here today, hats off to you and the crew in here today because this is a lot of work. And, you know, um, I definitely enjoy it. It, it, Again, for me, I always think big picture. This is just the way I'm wired. And what it's done for us, it's brought us in, you know, contact with people I would never, ever talk to or meet. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's over virtual or over a phone. We're going to actually get back in the studio like we are today here soon with, with Zach but it's been a blast there's times it stresses me out too i'm gonna be honest just because like dude i don't i don't i don't know what to say to this person you know like and uh and and then thankfully we you know you have an awesome setup here at power athlete which i'm jealous of honestly but we're fortunate enough at texas that our administration supports that Uh, i had to do a big business proposal and vision on that before them to for them to approve us for us to do it Mm -hmm. and so that scared me to death because it was like, you know, I was treading out in waters that you, you don't know if you get something. You guys know. You get something on the show. They say something, man. They could get you in hot water, especially at a big edu- educational institution like UT mm-hmm. where a lot of people are watching and listening. you got to have good character and you got you, you to be careful what you say and how you say it because a lot of people could be listening. So that part has scared me to death, Tex. But it's been fun. It's been challenging. Uh, I'm so thankful we did it. Uh, I think the the to kind of finish on that question to, to grow that audience, I don't know. I think that's going to take, you know. Again, that's why I respect you guys so much. It's going to take a lot of attention and like, 
you know, creativity to how to expand that audience and, and grow it. I think this year we, we, we started off just to try one show a month. You know, we didn't, I wasn't, I've learned through just being a guy that loves food, like you don't want to bite off more you can chew. Like that makes you sick, right? And so I wanted to start low level, like can we do one show a month and do it, do it well? Mm-hmm. And so I think this year our goal is to take it to two shows a month, so to be determined. But it's been enjoyable, it's been stressful, it's been fun, it's been scary, so I've had all those emotions. Uh, but I'm very thankful for just the people we've met, the knowledge we've learned, and just uh, kind of the path it's taken us to. So very thankful for it. Hopefully that answers your question. But Yeah, definitely. And a great opportunity for your coaching staff as well. I know they play a part in it, and that that's an ultimate learning experience for them to grow. And eventually maybe they sit in their own little hot seat to have tough conversations. Yeah, and you probably you make it look easier than it probably feels and internally, but... Right, exactly. Yeah, and hopefully they'll, they'll, we're trying to pull some of them on the show soon. And so that goes back to your other question, other earlier question about not doing things that are comfortable. So trying to get them more exposure and get them out there. It's easy to talk about it, but it's really hard once you have to put your feet to the fire. So, mm-hmm. Well, and do we have a UT clinic to look forward to? Thankfully, yes. As awesome. of today, um, we're going to, our date is, tentative date is January 22nd. Looking forward to just get people back in town, breaking bread, having fellowship, talking about other things other than strength conditioning, have some great presenters. Uh, we, we're waiting to get approval on our budget on that. So we should know more information and we'll put that on our social media as we get closer. But right now, the plan is a go, but we'll see one day at a time. It can be crazy this year. So for sure. All right, Donnie, enjoy the rest of your summer. Thank, Thank you, you for, for joining us here today. Uh, I'm due on campus uh, to, to hang with Zach for a lift. I'll let you know so we can break some bread. He's, uh, he's, I, we, we, had, uh, we broke bread the other, last week with him. He's, gotten, uh, he's looking strong. Oh, yeah. Well, he's got nothing to do but work out in the offseason. Right? Yeah. We got to find, find him a date or something or get him married. Or, I don't know. Find him. I'm I'm busy, Tex. I got I got I'm married. I got four kids and like got two in college, two in high school. I'm not bored. So, but yeah, if you can lift all. Well, day. he needs his own podcast. He does. Does Just he? Just solo show. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna give him a hard time. We can make that happen. We can we can do that. All right. Well, cheers. Thank you, Donnie. Thank you, Power Athlete Nation, for tuning in to another episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning. Thank you, guys. Tex, always a pleasure. Appreciate the opportunity to visit with you guys. Y'all have a good one. Anytime. Bye. Time for you to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!